You're listening to a podcast by New Heights Church. We hope you're encouraged to glorify, grow, and go. Church, I want to thank you for coming out to um, our Ash Wednesday service. Um, tonight should be a time of, of grieving and, and repentance. And again, I, I want to thank you for uh, making this a priority. I know that at 6.30 on a Wednesday, midweek, many of you are exhausted. Um, you... Uh, our, our, our desires, our earthly desires, is probably to be somewhere else, be more comfortable, and it's not normal, or usually it's not our priority to make grieving something we make room for in, in our lives, especially in, in the area of worship. Um, as adults, I know we struggle with that. I, I'm actually, I've learned a lot with, from, from my son, um, who this past uh, summer, or two summers ago rather, he had a um, a little hermit crab. He got a little hermit crab, and it only had one claw. And uh, fittingly, he named that hermit cla- crab Claw. Um, and and he loved Claw. He he played with Claw as much as you can play with a hermit crab. He took it outside for walks on the back deck in this little box. He spoke to Claw uh, nonstop. He he loved Claw. And one day, um, I went to go get Claw because he wanted to take him on the back deck. And when I went to go get him. Um, Claw was dead. And I thought to myself, okay, I got to let Maddox know. He's going he's gonna to be waiting. I thought I could give him maybe the dead hermit crab and get away with it, but I just want to be honest with him. And so when I, when I uh, saw him, I, when he came and wanted Claw, I said, buddy, I'm, I'm sorry. Um, I have to tell you something. Uh, Claw is no longer with us. He's, he's passed away. In that moment, Maddox, his, it, was the, it was a very interesting response because he started crying, but, but laughing, but not, not in a good way, in the worst way you can imagine as a parent. He started going like, you're kidding, right? You're just kidding. And he started like trying, hoping that I was going to make a joke or say something funny and say, oh, it's all fine. The death of Claw was just a joke, but it wasn't. It was serious. And I, and I had a moment where I had to decide as a parent, do I kind of say, oh, it's just a crab. Come on, move on, move on. It's all right, you'll get over it. You'll be fine. Or do I, sat, do I sit with that little soul and grieve with him? Do I mourn with him? Something that in the moment I'm like, it's just a hermit crab. It's kind of silly. But what I love about children is they make room for grieving. It's just natural. They do it. As adults, right, we try to uh, move on, get over it. We try to distract ourselves from feeling rather than sitting and grieving, especially with that moment with my son, teaching him how to grieve and that grieving is okay. In fact, it's part of the Christian life. It's part of the human experience to grieve. We should grieve. Scripture assumes the Christian will grieve. All throughout church history, when you look at the Old Testament saints to the new, uh, saints, those who love the Lord, they grieve deeply. They lament. Grieving is not sinful. Scripture does not teach that you should speed by grieving. Rather, that we ought to grieve Take our time in grieving, worship in grieving. A concept that I'm afraid is 
being lost with many saints today. So I want us to enter into prayer tonight. But I don't want to end the prayer as we typically would, amen, and then we move on. Rather, I want tonight to be, all of it to be a a service of prayer. As we're listening to the word being taught, I want us to be praying the words that we're hearing. I want the prayer to be the entire service. As we read, as we teach on these verses, as we sing, Try to be continually praying, continuing to commune with God throughout the night. Before we open up our prayer, I want to read to you the first 11 verses in Psalm 102, 1-11. Hear my prayer, O Lord. Let my cry come to you. Do not hide your face from me in the day of my distress. Incline your ear to me. Answer me with the quickness in the day when I call, for my days pass away like smoke, and my bones burn like a furnace. My heart is struck down like grass and is withered. I forget to eat my bread because of my loud groaning. My bones cling to my flesh, and I'm like a desert owl out of the wilderness, like an owl of the waste places. I lie awake. I am like a lonely sparrow on a housetop. All the day my enemies taunt me. Those who deride me use my favorite name for a curse. For I eat ashes like bread and my mingled tears with my drink. Because of your indignation and anger, for you have taken me up and thrown me down, and my days are like an evening shadow. I wither away like grass. Let's open up the service in prayer. Father God, we come to you thankful that we can come to your throne of grace. God, you are truly amazing and gracious. And Lord, as we look at your first 11 verses, Lord, I pray that you can teach us something about grief. As we sing to you, I pray that we can experience what it means to grieve over sin. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Now, the psalmist in 102 is not identified. But despite not knowing who they are, right, we know their condition, right, we can hear their grief. We hear throughout these verses the weariness that exists, the weariness of the body, of the heart, and of the soul. Look at at verses 1 and 2 again. It says, Let my cry come to you. Do not hide your face from me in the day of my distress. The writer feels alone, exhausted from anguish, tired of feeling the weight of this world that's cursed by sin, the weight and heaviness of the heartache and the adversity and the suffering that he faces. In fact, I love what, what, that he cries out, in essence, where are you, God? I'm in pain. Please hear my cry. Now, it's important to remember that the psalmist feels alone. He knows, he absolutely knows he's not alone. Hence, the psalm. 
Hence his prayer. Despite the feeling of loneliness, he knows the Lord is with him. That's why he cries out. The situation feels too heavy to carry. And grieving, leading way to despair so much that the writer paints very clearly that he's withering away. Look at verse 4. My heart is struck down like grass and has withered. I forget to eat my bread. Grief has hit to the point that it consumes focus. That not even the necessities of life, such as eating, can even take the back seat. Right? The, the pains of, of hunger cannot even remove the deep grief We see that he eats his own sorrow. He drinks his own tears. Because who can share in his misery, right? He's alone after all. Now, I'm not sure the writer could have ignored those feelings of grief. I'm sure, well, he's human. Maybe he could, right? Maybe he could have just stayed busy, right? As we tend to do when we feel moments of grief, I'm, 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 instead of lamenting, rather, I'll go do something fun, exciting, something to take my mind off of the misery, of the devastation, anything other than lamenting, than breaking down and crying out to God, where are you? Grief is a healthy inconvenience, and one that you're called to feel. Again, I know many of us have a tendency to ignore this aspect of the faith, trying to wear a mask that's always smiling, because somehow, some way on the journey of the Christian faith, we were told that we always have to be smiling. But Ecclesiastes chapter 3 right, tells us that there is a time to sing and dance and laugh, But in the same chapter, it says that there's also a time to mourn, to cry, and to weep. To feel the results of the curse. And to remember the the beautiful promise that one day you won't feel that anymore. Listen, we grieve because our God grieves. Just as you're to love what God loves, just as you're to hate what God hates, Let what grieves our Lord, let it grieve us. Scripture says that our sin causes God to grieve. And what I love is throughout Scripture, throughout church history, the saints have always taken a time to mark a period of the calendar to observe a time of lament, to observe a time of grief. For some of us, it's grieving Loved ones that we have lost, ones that we miss. Some of us, it's dashed dreams or failed expectations. Maybe to grieve over our failures, but for all of us, it's to grieve over our sin. And something I want you to think about tonight is think of the price of our sin. I really want you to think what did my sin cost? 
Because it's not that our sins just hurt us. Inevitably, our sin hurts those that we love around us, but also put us in debt. A debt that didn't just vanish, one that didn't vanish with a, with a blip or a, a stroke of a key. The debt we owed was paid in full by our Lord. Tonight I want us to think of our sin and the ease and convenience in which we sin without thought, knowing full and well what we're doing, that we're rebelling against our God, knowing full and well that our sin, that again, we do and that we love was the reason why Christ hung on a cross. It is healthy for us to take time to feel the depth of sin's price. Taking time to recognize what we've done and what we continue to do. Think of what we've read in the first 11 verses. Because of our sin, it was Christ who cries out, Father, why have you forsaken me? It was there he felt alone as his friends abandoned him. It was on Golgotha where the world would hear his groaning for our sake where he endured physical, emotional torture, where he was taunted and mocked, where the Father would crush him for our iniquities. Now I want to read this again. Instead of thinking of your own grief, I want you to think of Christ. The grief in which Christ endured on Golgotha. Listen, please, to verses 1 through 11. Hear my prayer, O Lord. Let my cry come to you. Do not hide your face from me. In the day of my distress, incline your ear to me. Answer me with quickness in the day when I call. For my days pass away like smoke, and my bones burn like a furnace. My heart is struck down like grass and is withered. I forget to eat my bread because of my loud groaning. My bones cling to my flesh. I am like a desert owl of the wilderness, like an owl of the waste places. I lie awake. I am like a lonely sparrow on a housetop. All the days my enemies taunt me. Those who deride me use my name for a curse, for I eat ashes like bread and mingle tears with my drink because of the indignation and anger for you have taken me up and thrown me down. My days are like an evening shadow. I wither away like grass. I hope you hear it. That you hear and see Christ in these verses. This, what echoes is this messianic psalm. And it's here we witness a God who took time to grieve for you and I. Who made it a point in history where he would groan, feel alone, be tormented and taunted and feel the weight of the Father's wrath. That it was appointed in eternity past that our Savior would grieve. That he would grieve for our sake. But through that grief, that planned grief, he gained a people for himself a people that he promises he'll never let go, he will not lose. 
Listen, we're not to ignore grief. And I would ask tonight that you not waste your grief. Turn to the God of your grief. Call out to him. He hears you. He hears you. He knows your struggle and your pain. In fact, your grief exists to show you that you need him. And so I ask that we do that now as we take a moment privately to pray silently in our seats. Psalm 102, continuing with verse 12. But you, O Lord, are enthroned forever. You are remembered throughout all generations. You will arise and have pity on Zion. It is the time to favor her. The appointed time has come. For your servants hold her stones dear and have pity on her dust. Nations will fear the name of the Lord. And all the kings of the earth will fear your glory. For the Lord builds up Zion. He appears in his glory. He regards the prayer of the destitute and does not despise their prayer. God, we praise you because you are enthroned above our grief, above our sorrow, above our pain, above our questions, above our good times and our bad times. God, you are enthroned, and that is a promise that we hold forevermore, and we praise you for that. But God, we ask that you will remind us how to grieve Remind us how to hurt in a way that honors you, that recognizes your holiness, and that might be for our good. God, I know that we are a people who are prone to want a quick fix. God, I know that of myself, but I pray that in your spirit that you will abide with us in a way that comforts us in our pain that our grief and sorrow might lead us to a better understanding of how good you are. That if our pain is, is quickly fixed and done away with, that we might forget how good you are and how much it took for you, Jesus, to take away our sin and our pain forevermore. So God, as we enter into this time, this Lenten season, marked by grief and darkness and sorrow. Spirit, I pray and ask that you abide with us in a way that provides comfort because we have you, but that reminds us of the depths and darkness of our sin, our sin that caused Christ to have to suffer the ultimate pain and ultimate sacrifice in order to cleanse us and to make us clean. So as we enter this season as a church, as families, as people, Lord, I pray your blessings upon our church. And I also pray that we would grow in a way to better understand you and your deep, deep love. God, it is true that you are enthroned forever and ever and ever, and your grace abounds forever and ever. We praise you for that, Lord. We thank you for that. And let us remember as we sing and grieve and are in pain. 
Thank you, Kenny and Claire. We appreciate you guys being with us tonight all the way from Nashville. And um, we, we did a, a couple of calls with them and told them it's going to be a little bit of a different kind of service than, than normal that you bring a, uh, some guests into. But I'm, I'm really thankful for their heart, for the kind of worship they lead us in. And um, so, church, I want to just call you to, to meet them after the service is over tonight. Um, they have some information on the back table I would encourage you to check out and uh, talk to them and um, just encourage them in their ministry and thank them for being here. They have their three children here with them too. And so their whole family um, is, is in town. They saw pigs being walked in Milton. I was like, welcome to West Virginia. It's just normal stuff here. Um, and um, and, and it, listen, I, I get that tonight is different. Um, I, some of you, when you walked in, were like, what, what's gonna happen? You still had some questions. Like, and, um, and so that's, that's okay. Um, Listen, on Sunday mornings, every, every Sunday morning, we gather as a church to, to joyfully sing, um, occasionally shout, like there's some crazy ones in our church that'll do that every now and then, and we lift our hands and we clap and we make a big commotion. Um, but, but a church that has no um, space for grief and sorrow and lament um, just doesn't recognize the full scope of what scripture calls us to. And so as we, as we recognize Ash Wednesday as a church, this is a time for us to kind of just sit in the grief of, of, the, of the fall of humanity and, and depravity and what that looks like. And as Pastor Jeremy talked about grief, and, um, and I'm going to continue in Psalm 102, and we're just going to continue to go through that the rest of the evening. But I want us to move from just time of grief from circumstances in our lives to, to also grief about our sin, grief about things that we have done that have created space between us and God's mission, space between us and um, the holiness that he has called us to. Um, when, when Jonah went to Nineveh and preached repentance, uh, they realized their sin. And in Jonah 3, it says, the word reached the king of Nineveh and he arose from his throne and he removed his robe and he covered himself with sackcloth. He put on black clothing like a funeral and sat in ashes. And he issued a proclamation and published throughout Nineveh by the decree of the king and his nobles, let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Let them not feed or drink water. And so um, you see this and, and in multiple other places in scripture, you see this tradition of, of putting on dark clothing and putting ash on your heads um, as a sign of public mourning, as a sign of, of showing I'm sorrowful about something. And, and when we observe Ash Wednesday, no, we're not Catholic, um, but the word Catholic just means universal. And so we are part of the body of Christ universally. And, and even as Protestants, when we observe this day, we're joining in um, thousands of years of tradition. Um, it's, it's not mandated in scripture. And so what we do tonight is not something that you have to do, um, but we believe it's something that's good for us to do. And as we um, lament and, and mourn our own sin, we repent of it and, and we begin to fast. And our church is going to publish um, a suggested fast for you during Lent, which is, it means lengthening of days as we move toward Easter. So um, traditionally, um, as early as the, the, the Council of Nicaea in 325, they, uh, the, the church, we see signs of them doing a 40-day fast leading up to Easter. So Ash Wednesday is the beginning of that 40 days with the exclusion of Sundays. 
And so we want to call you to, to fast in, in a way that is personal to you. That may mean following the guide that we're going to publish and, and give to you. That may just mean you giving up something during these next 40 days um, to, to honor God. I was talking about this with my kids last night and explaining um, what we were going to be commemorating tonight as a church. And um, talking about fasting, it was just I was explaining it like we want to give up something we love to show God that we love him most, to show that we love him more. Jesus talked about fasting. You see it in moments of repentance like in Nineveh and many other places in Scripture. And we're going to have a moment in, in, in the service shortly where we'll invite you to come forward for what's called the imposition of ashes where we will put ashes on our hands and, and we will smudge a cross on your forehead, putting ash on your head to remind you of your frailty. Genesis 3.19 says, By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. And so that's what the, the putting on of ashes is meant to remind us of, our frailty, our depravity, uh, the brevity of life, to remind us of those things is, is good because it contrasts and it, and it makes the joy of the resurrection so much sweeter because Jesus has defeated all of our sorrow. Amen. And so let's continue in Psalm 102 together. Verse 18 says, Let this be recorded for a generation to come, so that a people yet to be created may praise the Lord. I just want that to just sit down in your heart real deep for a second. That scripture calls the people of God to do things for the ultimate purpose that people yet to be created may praise the Lord. Most of us don't think in terms like this. Most of us think very circumstantially um, in the immediate, what's around us. If we do plan very far forward, it's typically in our lifetimes. But repentance brings us to a place where our repentance ought to be passed on to the people we love the most, our children, our grandchildren, future generations. And verse 18 tells us that the works of God should be recorded so that People not yet created can praise the Lord. I hope you see your unique place in that, in the kingdom of God. What an awesome privilege that is to uh, be repentant and holy people so that people not yet created can praise God. To waste a moment of opportunity to pass on our faith would be a massive mistake. And so passing on our faith requires, first of us personally, repentance. Verse 19 says of God that he looked down from his holy height from heaven and the Lord looked at the earth to hear the groans of the prisoners to set free those who were doomed to die. And so what do we tell our children and grandchildren in hopes that people not yet created would hear? We tell them the gospel story. We tell them that we worship a God who came for us in the incarnation. We tell them of a missionary God who, who came to be with us, to be like us, to suffer for us. And I want you to see in verse 19 that the Lord sees you. He looks down from his holy height. He's so high above us, yet he sees us. Whatever you grieve tonight, hopefully your sin, but also the circumstances that life has dealt you. I want you to know that the Lord sees you in that plight. In Matthew chapter 9, Jesus is actually teaching on fasting. He's, he's teaching in verses 14 through 17, he's teaching about fasting. And while he's teaching a, uh, a lesson on fasting, someone comes up to Jesus 
And he says, Jesus, I need you to come quickly. My daughter has just died. This man in intense sorrow comes to Jesus, desperate for him to do something. And Jesus says, okay, let's go. And he and the disciples begin to go with the man and travel to his home, to this uh, young girl who had just passed away. And on the way there, there's a, a funeral procession that's happening. The Bible tells us that they're playing flutes. Um, they're making music, which was a way of public mourning. There's, uh, it uses the word commotion. There's commotion happening. Um, there's great crowds. In Jewish culture, um, mourning and funerals were, were a very crowded and public display of sorrow. And as all that's happening, um, there's a woman, we're told, who has an issue of blood that is so desperate for healing that she strains through the crowd and she touches the hem of Jesus' garment. And in the midst of all that and having a place to go and a, a, a ton of people around him, Jesus sees her. And in Matthew 9, 20 through 26, we get the details of two healings. Jesus stops, not in a hurry because he's outside of time, and he heals the woman with the issue of blood, and then he goes to the home of the little girl and he raises her from the dead. In our lowest moments, when we think God is too busy for us and there's too many greater problems in the world, he sees you. He sees your issue, and he sees your sorrow, and he hears your cries. Verse 20 of Psalm 102 says that he hears the groans of the prisoners, and he sets us free. Through the cross and through death and through suffering, Jesus sets us free from our sin. The psalmist continues in verse 21, that they may declare in Zion the name of the Lord and in Jerusalem his praise. When peoples gather together and kingdoms to worship the Lord. This gives us the purpose of our salvation. It's for God's glory. And in his glory, we proclaim his salvation, that he has set us free and he can set others free. Your entire existence is wrapped up in who God is. Who you are does not matter unless you know who he is. And when you understand who he is, it makes sense of who you are. And it reminds you that you are unholy, that your nature is fallen, that you are but dust, and to dust you will return. But yet through God's beautiful gospel, we are adopted into a family. And then he gives us the privilege of praying and seeing, seeing things change through prayer. Um, we're told another part in scripture of, of a woman named Hannah who prayed for a son that she ultimately um, committed to the Lord. And in her praise, she acknowledged that God raises the dusty and needy to a place of royalty. In 1 Samuel 2.8, Hannah sings a, a prayer and she sings, he raises up the poor from the dust. He lifts the needy from the ash heap to make them sit with princes and inherit a seat of honor. For the pillars of the earth are the Lord's, and on them he has set the world. And so though we are dust, and though we are returning to dust, there's this beautiful already not yet truth of the gospel that we are princes and princesses in Jesus' family. Needy in dust and ash, yet forgiven and redeemed at the same time. Verse 23, the psalmist comes back to a complaint. And he says, he, speaking of God, has broken my strength in mid-course. He has shortened my days. You see, as a result of our sin, 
We can lament that, that the world has fallen, that our situations are fallen, our sin has brought us to places of despair. And I want to bring your attention to that tonight. The psalmist complains about his plight, that the Lord had shortened his days, but he also makes a plea in verse 24, and he says, Oh my God, I say, take me not away in the midst of my days, you whose years endure throughout all generations. And so he makes a plea in repentance, take me not away. Don't take my life. You who endure for generations, use me for your glory, is the cry of repentance from this psalmist. And so for us to continue in this, we need to continually repent. And so I want you to bow your heads in this moment, and I want you to um, just pray to God silently at your seat and begin to ask him what, what in your life you need to repent of. And, and especially as, as a church that practices Repentance week after week. We come to a communion table every week and we repent every week. I want, I want you to focus tonight on, on a longer repentance. Given the scope of verse 18, that people through your life who have not yet been created will know Jesus because of your testimony, what do you need to give up? What sin do you need to mortify and kill? tonight. Daniel prayed. He said, I turned my face to the Lord God, seeking him by prayer and pleas for mercy with fasting and sackcloth and ashes. And so in this time, I'm going to pray. After I'm done praying, I want you to continue to pray silently. And after you've repented, Pastor Jeremy and I are going to be up front. And when Kenny and Claire begin to play this next song, whenever you're ready, you can pray as long as you need to. We're actually going to pray several songs. And so if you want to sit through the whole first song and come later, that's fine. Whenever you're ready, you can come forward. You're not obligated to come forward. But if you want to get this visible sign that we see in Scripture, um, you can come forward and Jeremy and I will put ashes on your head as a sign of your repentance, as a sign of sorrow. And then we can be reminded that we are frail, that we're fragile, that our life is filled with suffering and sorrows, but yet also be reminded that the resurrection's coming, that Easter is yet 40 days from us, and we can enter into a fasting season with joy, sorrow, and praise all at the same time. Heavenly Father, as we come to you praying, asking for forgiveness, we pray, God, that you would be glorified in our lives. God, give us a, a deep desire for repentance, so much so that, that we, we long to not just impact the people in our homes now or the people around us now, but God, that our, our, our desire would be that people not yet created would worship you. And so Lord, for that to happen, we know we need to repent. So Lord, grant us forgiveness as we spend time in prayer, repenting. Psalm 102, starting at verse 25. Of old you laid the foundation of the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you will remain. They will all wear out like a garment. You will change them 
like a robe, and they will pass away. But you are the same, and your ears, your years have no end. The children of your servants shall dwell secure. Their offspring shall be established before you. Church, I exhort you this evening to repent, to believe the gospel, and to remember that Jesus loved you and gave himself for you. To conclude our service, if you would, bow your heads and we'll be dismissed in prayer. Let us pray. Almighty and everlasting God, you hate nothing you have made and forgive the sins of all who are penitent. Create and make in us new and contrite hearts that we, worthily lamenting our sins and acknowledging our wretchedness, may obtain of you the God of all mercy, perfect remission and forgiveness through Jesus Christ our Lord who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God forever and ever. Amen. We hope you enjoyed the podcast. To learn more about New Heights Church or a relationship with Christ, please visit our website at www.newheightswv.com.